Well, good morning. It's good to have you with us on this cold Sunday morning, but no snow in the air. So that's that's exciting for those of you that are anti-snowers. I know I've probably talked about the dog every week, but <laughs> when it was something like 6.30 and I was out walking the dog in the dark, it said it was 25 degrees, and it sure didn't feel like 25 degrees. It did. It still felt like it was 5 or 10 or as cold as it's been, but I'm glad that you braved the cold, and I'm glad that you came out. If you are here with younger kids, you may have learned that our normal three- and four-year-old nursery is closed because of cold, uh, so you can be praying for our furnace to be repaired. Um, and ready for school. It's done. Praise God. Uh, so thank you for those of you that are praying for that. And um, we're, hopefully we will be ready for school on Sunday morning. Anytime that you wake up and it's cold, think about our school and just pray that the heat is working when we come in because it is shocking to come in to 40 degree rooms and uh, it takes a while to warm them up. So our nursery is warmed by extra heaters and that is still available to anybody who needs it. But if you want to keep your kids with you today, you're welcome to do that. You're welcome to do that anytime. I love the sound of kids in our service. I love the sound of life in our service. And hopefully the kids giggling will drown out the snores of the older folks. So <laughs> hopefully we'll stay awake this morning that it's exciting enough to be in the house of the Lord to sing praises to the King of glory, to lift up our heads, and to be lifted up. It's so great to think about God's design that we would be created in his image to be image bearers. And he calls us to love all image bearers because they bear some part of his image. As John said, and as he uh, talked about it, we may not always see God in these folks that are so different from us, but they are still created in God's image. He calls us to love them, and he desires that they would know him and worship him. So this is not just a day that we care about life, but just a reminder to love those around us. So on to our message. If you're watching online, we're excited to have you with us. Last week, lots of you were online because the snow was uh, quite difficult. How many watched online last week? This is not a guilt thing. It's just I'm glad that you were able to watch. Thank you again to our tech team for having that available so that people can be uh, at home safely and for those that can't make it out at all, that they could be part of the service with us. All right, now we're really going to start the message because it's after 10 and we have to be out of here by like 2 o'clock. Is that, does that sound right? The game is not till 6.30, so. All right, so we're, we are back to our First Corinthians message. How many of you can remember leaving home for the first time. Anybody remember that? It may have been recent for some of you. It may have been a long time ago, like the previous century for some of us. Maybe you left for college. Maybe you left for the military. Maybe you were just moving out to go live on your own. Can you recall that overwhelming sense of freedom? No matter how great your parents were, the fact that you could wake up when you wanted to, you could eat what you wanted to. You could stay up as late as you wanted to. You could watch whatever you want on TV or your phone. You didn't have to worry about how long you've been on your apps. You could do just about anything. Mom wasn't there to tell you to eat your vegetables. In fact, your refrigerator, if it has anything in it, may not even have vegetables in it. It could just be all junk food because you could do what you wanted. And maybe after a while, you saw some of your parents' wisdom in some of their rules. Or maybe you started learning, even while you were still home, to follow some of those freedoms, to follow some of those rules. And they were just part of your life already. You recognized that what your parents were trying to instill in you was for your good. And this is just a really quick parenting tip. Don't wait till your kids are gone to let them understand some freedoms. Let them make some mistakes. Let them make some choices. Protect them from the life-ending mistakes, but show them what it means to choose the right thing. 
let them understand the consequences when they choose the wrong thing. Parents of our generation, my generation, want to protect our kids. And we often do that to the point where they just don't know what to do when they graduate. John was talking about 18-year-olds being out of foster care and out on their own and, and maybe not knowing how to make good choices, not knowing what it means to choose the right thing over the wrong thing. Our God gives us many liberties, many choices in our lives, and free will, even though that phrase is not in the Bible, is there explicitly. We can choose right and wrong. Sometimes we can even choose between two good things or two bad things. We have the choice to make every moment of our lives. And often, we blame the outcome on other people, even though we've made the choice. Someone may have influenced our choice or may have steered us in a certain direction, but often we blame people instead of saying, I decided this, this is the outcome, and perhaps I have to live with it. As followers of Jesus Christ, and I hope you are this morning, but I'm not going to assume that all of you are, we don't have a code of social or dietary laws like the Jews had. The early Christians were free from the laws, and most of them were former Jews. So they were moving from a system where they had really tight, strict controls to a place where they had a lot more freedoms. And as Gentiles or non-Jewish people came into the church as they got saved, there was this mix of people who grew up with no rules and people who had very strict rules. And then they're coming together in a church and saying, how do we do this? How do we live life together where we're not judging each other? We're not mad at each other. We're not imposing what we grew up with on each other. And a little bit that happens in the church today, just because we come from so many different backgrounds. Some of you maybe came from a no church home where you didn't go to church at all, maybe Christmas and Easter. Or some of you were in church every time the doors were open and your parents had a lot of rules and you grew up that way and you continued that way. Or you abandoned some of them along the way. So Paul is talking to the early church and helping them with what's called Christian liberty. So as believers, the things that we have freedom in making decisions. We always have freedom, but sometimes God says, this is what you should do. And this is what I'm telling you to do. As a follower of Jesus Christ, do this and don't do that. Those are explicit laws, commands. They come from the basics of the Old Testament, like the Ten Commandments, but then all of Jesus' teachings and all of the apostles' teachings. He says, follow these things if you want to follow me. If you are my disciple, not only will you love me, but you're going to love my word and you're going to obey it. That's how people are going to know. That's how you're going to know that you're really seeking to follow me. Christians are disciples. That means we're followers of someone. You're not followers of me. You're followers of Jesus Christ, and he's given us his word to say, this is what your life should look like. So some of these areas that we call Christian liberty, some of these areas that are called gray areas, are things that the Bible clearly does not prohibit. Things like food and drink, things like holidays and celebrations, work, entertainment. There's lots of different areas where the Bible doesn't give a specific command. And obviously, 2,000 years later, there's a lot of things that didn't exist at that time. There's nothing in the Bible that says, thou shalt not have TikTok on thine phone. Doesn't exist. But there are principles there that say, this could be really dangerous. Maybe you need to protect your kids from this. Maybe you need to think about how much time you're devoting to this. So we have principles that we apply. And they are left to the individual believer to decide but still, again, working from those biblical principles. One of the distinctives of the Baptist faith, if you want to call it that, we're not a denomination, we're just believers following Jesus who think that we should be baptized. But one of those distinctives is individual soul liberty. And that says that I and each one of you will stand before God one day to answer for everything that we've done and said. Jesus Christ has forgiven our sins, but we still have lots of choices we made in our lives. And God says, you are going to be called to count for what you did, what you did with your time, how you lived your life, and the decisions that you made. 
over the years, many different religions and specific churches came up with their own lists that were very specific of things that people had to obey to be members of that church. And sometimes it was the whole society. Think about our Amish neighbors. They have a lot of things that are not clearly laid out in the Bible. It doesn't say you have to drive a buggy in the Bible. It doesn't say you can drive a Chrysler in the Bible. But that's something that they've decided as a community, we're going to follow this rule. We're not going to use electricity. We're going to do different things. So that's an example of a community that's done that. But churches often come up with extra rules and say, this is what it means to be a member of this church, and you're going to follow all of these rules. Unfortunately, that can lead to legalism, which means following a letter of the law. And it often brings about not only division, but it can bring about judgmental spirits where we're looking at everybody else and we're sometimes proud of the way we've acted or behaved and we are kind of pushing our individual liberty on everybody and saying, you have to behave just the way I did. Paul has addressed this issue before back in chapter 6, but there's a slightly different approach as we come back to 1 Corinthians, and it's in chapter 10. So if you brought your Bible with you, turn to 1 Corinthians 10. If you didn't, grab one of the Bibles in front of you. The black ones have a really small print for people my age. The red ones have slightly larger print. So if you look around you and you see one of those larger red print Bibles, you can get up and move and grab one. And if you don't have a Bible at home, you're free to take one of those with you because we want you to have God's word with you. So get ready in 1 Corinthians 10. We're picking up the service, uh, the sermon series that we left off all the way back in November before Advent started. And it's called Living in Light of Eternity. The Apostle Paul was writing to a church or a group of churches in the city of Corinth. This was a seaport. It was part of the Roman trade route. And so it had lots of people coming and going. It had lots of different ideas, lots of religious uh, groups kind of melding together, people from all different backgrounds. But also because of all the money coming and going, there was a lot of politics, there was a lot of power, there was a lot of sin, and just a mess, kind of, kind of like our world today. So when we read the Bible, sometimes we think, oh, those old time people walking around in robes and sandals, you know, they were just, everything was easy for them. They didn't have phones to worry about. They didn't have insurance to worry about. They didn't have this and that to worry about. Their lives were very complicated. If you look at Roman and Greek culture, there was a lot going on there. So don't dismiss the Bible and say, this is not for me today. We're going to read it and we're going to say, how does this apply to us today once we've understood the context of what was being written? So Paul's writing to these folks and he says, live your lives in view of eternity. Paul addresses a whole bunch of issues that the church was dealing with. And very specifically, he says, now about this thing, now about that thing. So people were either sending him letters or communicating with him and saying, we're having trouble in these different areas. Paul had planted this church. He loved these people. But now he's addressing some of the problems that they're struggling with and saying, this is how to live a life that pleases God. This is how to, how to follow Jesus Christ in these areas. And by the way, don't forget where you're headed. The end of the book, he says, you're going to heaven. You have a home in heaven promised and prepared for you by Jesus Christ, protected and guarded by the Holy Spirit. So as hard as things are right now, don't forget where you're headed. Live in light of eternity. Live in light of this home that's waiting for you, but also live in light of Jesus' teachings. Don't just live your life as though none of that matters. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, before we read this scripture, I'm going to pray with us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time together in your word, time together to praise you and sing songs of worship, to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, to sing about being servants, to love one another, to care for one another. And I thank you for the opportunity for us to learn more about every child for this ministry that is loving children who are in uh, really tough spots in their lives. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bless all of these things that we do today. Bless the reading of your word. Help us to be hearers, but also to be doers, that we would not walk away unchanged, but that as we see our lives reflected in your word, that we would see areas of our lives that need to change.
things that we need to uh, do to follow you and to live a life that pleases and glorifies your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So we're finishing up chapter 10, and this is one of those areas where the folks that split up the Bible verses didn't do a great job with the chapters. So that is not um, something that was inspired by God. Jewish writing goes from right to left, and it just continues. There's no punctuation. There's no paragraph breaks. So as they were reading it and trying to think about different concepts, they put in verses so that we could have small ideas, and then they had chapter breaks, so we got bigger ideas. But in this particular case, I think chapter 11, verse 1, goes with what we're talking about today. So I'm going to include that. Verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that, for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So we have some guidelines for Christian liberty. And we're going to look at several of those, and then we're going to look at the glory of God. So if you like taking notes, there are some places where you can fill in some blanks on the sheet in your bulletin. The first one, the Christian guidelines. Paul says, all things are lawful. And as I said, this is a repetition from chapter 6, verse 2. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. That's what chapter 6, verse 12 says. In this passage, we have some of the same words. All things are lawful, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things build up. So that's where the, the thought shifts. While believers are no longer under the law of Moses for what they can or cannot do culturally, Paul repeats this phrase, not all things are helpful. While chapter 6 is talking about food, and sex, and other things that may be hard to control, Paul says, I won't let these things dominate me. I won't let them control me, even though they might be allowable. For Paul, raised Jewish and now a follower of Jesus, he knew that he no longer had to obey the what we call the kosher food laws. This was part of his Christian liberty. But in order to reach Jewish people with the gospel, to be friends with them, to make a group of people who could sit down together, new believers and people who are not believers yet, Paul often followed those food laws. And he said to believers, your freedoms are not a license to sin or to offend people. Look at this quote from A.W. Tozer. Freedom is liberty within bounds. Liberty to obey holy laws, liberty to keep the commandments of Christ, to serve mankind, to develop to the full all the latent possibilities within our redeemed nature. True Christian liberty never sets us free to indulge our lusts or to follow our fallen impulses. This is on the website in case you didn't write that down, and I don't know if any of you could write that quickly. But Tozer is saying, this is not about all the stuff you can do. And if you came this morning thinking, oh, great, pastor's going to tell me all the stuff I'm free to do. 
There are things you are free to do, but it's much more about freedom to obey the Lord, freedom to serve each other with a heart filled with love, not filled with, I have to do this. I'm going to be kind to you because I have to. I'm going to do it grumbling and complaining. It's a freedom to obey Christ and to experience creation the way God made it for us. This phrase, all things are lawful, was most likely something that the Corinthians were saying enough that Paul uses it to get their attentions. All things are lawful for me. Just imagine them in the church going around doing whatever they wanted and saying, all things are lawful for me. I can take the last cookie because all things are lawful. I can get this seat because all things are lawful. I can do whatever I want because all things are lawful. They were abusing their liberty. So while others maybe held on to the rules really tightly and they made their obedience an area of pride and, like I said, judging others who didn't hold those same convictions, they're on the other side of the fence saying, while you may think all things are lawful for you, here's what we do around here. This is how we act, and you better toe the line. If you're going to be part of this church, this is the way to dress. This is the way to sit. This is the way to eat and drink, and this is what we do. So do it just the way I do. So while Christians are free from Old Testament laws, food, clothing, and other restrictions, if you've read Leviticus, you're very thankful that you're a Christian today, 2,000 years later, because you couldn't mix fabrics. There was all kinds of interesting things that God put in there to say, I want you to be different. And here are some good things for you health-wise. So whether it was avoiding pork or shellfish or different things that may have been for their dietary benefit, God was saying, be different, live the way I call you to, and do it in the right way. Jesus told his disciples that they should love each other and they should love their neighbors. Love is so much more important than making sure everyone else is following your convictions. So our guidelines, first of all, he says, while all things may be lawful, not all things are helpful. Do what is going to build up others. Not all things build up. This is in verse 23. You have freedom in Christ, but is what you're doing helpful to other people? Don't do things that will not build up others. If what you're doing is discouraging others in their faith or in their obedience to Christ, then don't do it. Paul tells the believers in Ephesus, don't let your speech be corrupting or tear down. This phrase of building up made me think of this passage immediately and Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And there's three really great rules to watch your mouth. Have you ever heard that from your, from your parents? Watch your mouth. Here's how you watch your mouth. First of all, when you speak, say things that will build someone else up. When you're correcting your child's behavior. Are you attacking him or her with your words? Are you tearing her down? Are you saying you are lazy? You're this, you're that. You always do this. You never do what you're supposed to. Or are you discipling through your correction? Are you saying this is what you should be doing? This is the better way. Instead of being angry and frustrating, are you telling him in patience and love. This is what you did wrong. There are some consequences for that. But this is what I would like you to do. This is what God's word says you should do. And not only are you going to have peace with God, but you're going to have peace with me. Our home is going to be happier when you act this way. Can you see how what you've done has not only affected your brother that you just whacked in the head or your sister that you've ignored or whatever you've done, it's hurt other people, but it's also hurting you because you're disobeying God. As you speak to someone, say only what will build up. And you've heard the phrase constructive criticism, right? We all love constructive criticism. 
it's sometimes good to lead with that and say, I have something to tell you, but it's meant to be constructive. I want to help you in this area. And this is, this is what I've been observing, and maybe something needs to change here. The second thing is, it's what fits the occasion. Is this the right time? Is it the best place to bring this up? If your husband just walked through the door, and you can see from his face that not only was it a bad day, it might have been a bad commute. And maybe this isn't the best time to talk about the dishwasher that blew up or the horrendous credit card bill. We have a rule in our house not to talk about money after 9 p.m. And now that Cindy goes to bed at 8 or 7.30, I don't know when we can talk about money. There's just no time left. It's better just not to talk about it. But those are some of the rules. Is this a good time to talk about it? Unfortunately, when we're frustrated, that's when we often start looking in the in the trunk and pulling out more garbage and saying, oh yeah, while we're about talking about this, here are the 15 things that you said that bother me. Listen to what somebody says. Say, thanks for telling me. I'm sorry I did that. Please forgive me. Let's just leave it at that. Does it fit the occasion? Is it the right time to say it? Or is there a better time? If the house is not on fire or one of the kids is not dangling from something, be patient and wait. And maybe it is you walk in the door and, you know, here's the baby. He needs to be changed because I need to put out three other literal fires or who knows what's going on. But is it the right time? Will And thirdly, will what you say give grace? Grace is undeserved, unconditional kindness. What you say should be a blessing from God. Even if you have to share bad news, are you saying it in a way that is still kind and loving? Are you saying it in a way that's not assigning blame to that person and making them become defensive? Or are you saying something that gives grace to the person that is listening to you? And what about everybody around you? Your kids hearing you berate your wife about dinner that wasn't the way you like it. Or the shoppers at Walmart hearing you yell at your kid from three aisles away, you know, family business. You're, you're telling them things they've done wrong and just shouting this. It's not giving anybody grace. They're not hearing anything good that's going to encourage them. Or maybe it's friends in a group setting and you're bringing up something that everybody else doesn't need to hear and it's just hurting everybody. The words you say, the way you say it, needs to let that person know that you love and care for them, even if it's hard news. So not only do we need to look at building up people, we need to put others first. Look at verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Paul says, don't let your freedom just be satisfying your own desires. Instead, see the good of your neighbor. Do you remember the joy acrostic? If you've been around church long enough, Jesus, others, and who's last? Me or you, depending on how you're saying it. But Jesus is first, others, and then yourself. It's a simple way of reminding yourself that if your actions are selfish, then they're not pleasing to God. The popular saying that says, you have to learn to love yourself before you can love somebody else. Not only is that selfish, it's not really biblical. We are already born selfish. Think about babies and how much their life is about trying to please everybody else. Have you met any babies? It's all about them, right? I'm cold, I'm wet, I'm stinky, I'm dirty, I want more stuff. Take care of me. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care that you were sleeping. I don't care that you didn't get enough sleep. It's all about me, and it's about me right now. Puppies are kind of the same way. We don't have to learn to be selfish. We don't have to learn to love ourselves. And of course, if you think that you're worthless because you don't know how much God loves you, that's the only time that I would say you have to realize that you are deeply loved, but it's God's love for you, not your own love that's important. God wants us to put our focus, our attention on others more than on ourselves. Our freedom in Christ should be about loving others 
just as we have been loved, seeking the good of, of others instead of focusing on ourselves. That's the mark of a believer who is following Jesus Christ and following his example. Last week, we read the Philippians chapter 2 passage, talking about healthy church members and preserving unity and care. Paul said, complete my joy by being of the same mind. We sang that song today, that the mind of Jesus. Having the same love, being in full accord of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, Paul knows we're going to look and care for ourselves, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is our example of humility. He is our example of putting others first. And Paul says, have the mind of Christ. Think the way Jesus does. When you see someone else, do you see an image bearer or do you see an annoyance? Do you see someone that you have to put up with or do you see someone that's loved by God and should be loved and cared about by yourself? Are you thinking about yourself the way Jesus did? He said, I came to serve others, not to sit here and be served. And he's the son of God. If anyone deserved to sit and just be served, it was Jesus. But he said, my life is going to be about other people. And I want you to follow me. Being my disciple means that kind of living. C.S. Lewis has this great quote about humility. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Let that sink in. It's not thinking less of yourself. So a lot of people think that humbleness is humble pie, right? When somebody says, nice job in, in worship today, and you say, oh, shucks, we're nothing. Sorry, Robert. <laughs> I've never heard you speak that way. And I didn't say it was a Southern thing. I just said it. Getting myself in trouble. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less, thinking about others more. It's a great quote. The last one is liberty and thankfulness, verses 25 to 30. You have the freedom to eat food from the market without questioning where it came from. And Paul quotes Psalm 24, which Sarah read for us earlier. Everything God gave us on the earth is good and for our good. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That was a typical Jewish blessing when they sat down to eat. And they thanked God after they ate it. We assume that the food's going to be good and we say, thank you, God, for this food. Thank you for it. And then we eat it. But they waited till they were done and then thanked God. It's an interesting thought. Be thankful. Verse 27 says, if an unbeliever invites you to dinner, go and eat whatever is provided without question. Do you remember your mom or dad saying that to you before you went to somebody else's house? Eat whatever's put in front of you. You probably won't die. If you want to wait and watch everybody else taste it first, it's all edible. You probably won't die. We would give our kids a small portion of new stuff and say, you have to have that much. If you like it, you can have more. Whatever people give you, eat it. Build a relationship with these folks. Become friends. Don't embarrass them and saying, I can't eat this. This is no good for me. It's against my religion. It's against my conscience. Just eat it. The religious leaders in Jesus' day constantly attacked him for eating with unbelievers because they thought that God wanted them to avoid all contact with unbelievers. This is how I stay holy, by crossing the street and avoiding anybody that looks like they're not following God. If this person is dirty, they haven't washed their hands, they're obviously not holy like I am. So keep your distance. Jesus said, that's not it at all. Jesus went to unbelievers and said, you need to know me. Your life is a mess. Jesus didn't go to them and say, everything you're doing is fine. He went to them and loved them.
became friends with them, and then they saw, oh my goodness, this is the Messiah. He's human. He's here. And he's just done not only all these miracles, but he loves me. He cares about me. He's not trying to make me behave better. But verse 28 says, if someone says, oh, by the way, this meat was offered to idols. Do you want some? If that person is telling you this, they probably have an issue with food offered to idols. So don't eat it and don't offend them. Paul is talking about, in, in a sense, weaker brothers, people who are believers and think that anything that was not processed in the kosher way or made a certain way is inedible for them. And he said, if that's what they think, that's okay. Just leave them to that. Don't offend them because they're struggling. Or if you eat it and offer it to them, you may cause them to go back to the pagan temple and not only go buy the meat there, but maybe they're going to join in the celebrations and start worshiping the way they used to. They'll forget about their faith in Christ. It's not about me. It's about the person that I'm eating with or the person that's serving me or the person that's offering. Think more about them than about yourself. And then Paul ends by saying, should, why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I don't have a problem with this food, I can eat it. If I'm thankful for it, then I don't have to be judging somebody else. My personal decisions, Paul is saying, in areas like food and drink and holidays are all determined by the Holy Spirit and my conscience. And he says, if your conscience is saying don't do it, then don't do it. But if somebody else's conscience is saying this is okay or not okay, don't enforce what you're saying on them. This strict enforcement, again, is called legalism, and it can cause churches to wrongly focus on judging each other and judging everybody that comes through the doors instead of sharing the gospel, instead of getting to know people, loving them, getting them to care about us enough that we can share the greatest person in our lives, Jesus Christ. Paul said over and over again, we should be ready to give up our liberties. We should be ready to give up these freedoms for the sake of others, whether it's a new believer or an unbeliever. In my Bible reading just this morning, Peter said in the middle of a passage telling Christians to obey those in authority. In 1 Peter 2.16, he said, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil but living as servants of God. So when you hear you have freedom in Christ, that doesn't mean you can go out and do whatever you want to hide sin by saying, I'm free. Live as servants of God. You should be serving in love, not hurting other people. Verse 31 is the overarching principle that should guide your every thought, your every choice, your every word. In everything you do, even your food and drink choices, do everything for God's glory. Read this verse with me. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. How many of you have memorized that verse already? It's a great verse to keep in the front part of your head so that you can think about something. When I'm, when I'm praying about a decision, is this going to glorify God? No matter what I'm doing, my entertainment choices, how I'm using my time, what I'm reading, all of those things should bring glory to God. When I'm serving in the church, it should be about God's glory, not about me. I'm not up here for you to say, good job. I'm not up here to entertain you. I'm up here, hopefully, to keep you awake. That's why I say stupid things occasionally. But also, to lift up the word of God and saying, this is what we're following. It's not about me. So if you're serving in the nursery, you're teaching a Sunday school class, it's not about you. It's about the glory of God. God reveals himself in his word so that we could know him, so that we could know what he's like. And he calls us to mirror him. We're created in his image to be image bearers, showing his character even to the ends of the earth. In the Old Testament, it says God's glory will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. That's going to happen. Do you want to be part of that? I hope so. Here's some ways that God describes himself 
in Scripture. And these are, if you're thinking about how do I glorify God? How do I honor Him? How do I show people what He's like? Listen to these words. God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He is forgiving. He is just. He will always be with you. He's the source and sustainer of life. God is a consuming fire and jealous for his glory. He is merciful. He will not forget his covenants or promises. The great God is mighty and awesome. He shows no partiality. He accepts no bribes. He defends the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing with you. He is our lamp. He turns darkness into light. His way is perfect and flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. He is kind and rich in mercy. His love is steadfast. He is just. Holy, holy, holy is our God. If you've chosen to follow Jesus Christ, then you're an ambassador for God's kingdom. Are you representing him well? Would people want to renounce their own citizenship in this world and say, I want to be part of that kingdom because of you? That's being a good ambassador. In this passage, Paul is making it abundantly clear that we enjoy our Christian liberty, our freedom in Christ. As we do that, we cannot ignore that we are image bearers of God. Is the way I'm acting, the way I'm talking, the way I'm conducting myself, the way I'm treating someone else reflecting the way God would act in that situation? We don't have our what would Jesus do bracelets anymore. What would Jesus do? What would he say to this person? How would he respond? That's the same thing as saying whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We can't excuse ourselves. We can't do whatever we want. We can't ignore our calling to bring God all the glory. And then finally, he says, don't offend anyone. There's a tall order. Have consideration for all in these last couple of verses. Be considerate of people's personal beliefs. Think about their weaknesses, their struggles. And he mentions three distinct groups, each with their own cultural issues, each with their own religious baggage and each with their own thoughts. They have unique backgrounds and they should be, we need to be aware of each of them so that we don't offend any one of them. The Jews, the Greeks, which in this case means all Gentiles, and then other believers. Show them all God's love. In our age of tolerance, that means for a lot of people that we don't disagree with anybody. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, that's good for you and I'm okay with that. That is not what God says. He says, speak the truth, but speak it in... Let's try that again. Speak the truth, but speak it in... Thank you. It doesn't mean that we adopt this anything goes attitude. When our family members or friends tell us that being true to themselves means that they've adopted a new gender, they've adopted a new sexual identity, they've adopted a whole new philosophy in life. We don't agree that their truth is personal and it's just based on their emotions and feelings. We don't say that that's true for you, so go with your heart. Go with the way you feel. We share the truth of not only who God is, but who they are in the image of God. And we do that in love. The love part is we care about them and we want them to know that God's way is always the better way. The truth of who God is, who we are, the fact that we're all born as sinners, that we all have desires to sin and please ourselves instead of desires to please God. When someone says, I was just born this way, that's right, but it doesn't make it right because we're all born Selfishly, we're all born as sinners, pleasing ourselves rather than pleasing God. All of those truths are constant. We can be kind, we can be considerate of the turmoil in people's lives. We can be compassionate about the place where they are and the struggles that they're having, but we shouldn't avoid speaking the truth in love. 
When Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to share the hope that's in you. He meant share the gospel. But he adds, do it with gentleness and respect. Don't be overbearing. Don't be pompous. Don't be sanctimonious or rude. Be considerate. And as I was coming up with that list of adjectives, I was thinking about social media. When we share, I just have to say it the way it is. I have to say what I think. And we often come across not gentle, not respectful. We come across overbearing, sanctimonious, rude, not considerate. So before sharing your faith, ask someone what they believe. Ask them why they believe it how they came to believe that that was true. What's the basis for your belief? What is the authority of truth? And why do you believe this? Has this made a difference in your life? Has it changed you? Has it made your life better? It's going to be helpful, especially if someone comes from a different religious background, to just understand the basis for that faith. If you have a friend who says they're going to this church or that church, or this is the way they were raised, do a little research and find out what that's all about so that you can ask good questions. Not so you can beat them up, but so that you can say, the authority for my life is God's word. It's not my church. It's not my pastor. It's God's word. And that never changes. Let me show you what God's word has to say about you and me. Be patient. Be thoughtful. Keep the door open for future conversations. And remember, anytime that you're asked a question you can't answer, you should make it up. Anybody listening? No, don't make it up. Say, can I get back to you on that? I'm not sure about that. Talk to someone, research it on a good website. Be careful what you Google and what your answers are. They're not always right. But look for someone you can trust. You can obviously talk to me. And if I don't know the answer, I won't make something up. I'll dig in the Bible deeper and try to help you find the answer. Be humble. So when we're dealing with other believers, we need to take time to understand where they are spiritually, not just unbelievers, but other believers. What's their background? Are they a new believer? Are they relatively old physically, but young spiritually? Where did they come from? What's their background? And what kind of Ideas were already planted there that they may think are biblical that really aren't. They're just the way their church taught or the way they were raised, and they think this is right. Be considerate of their personal convictions in gray areas of spirit, of Christian liberty. Take time to discuss and understand where they're coming from, but don't judge. Don't impose your views. And I think this goes also for doctrinal and theological issues. We have a clear statement of faith, but there are a lot of areas outside of the gospel that we're going to find out the truth when we get to heaven. So don't be dogmatic in those areas that are not gospel core issues. We're going to teach and preach consistently here in our church, but if somebody has a different idea or a question about something, don't beat them up. Say, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Let's talk about it. Let's let's see the scripture verses that you use to get to that conclusion. And let's see the scripture verses that our church used to come to a different place. Be loving of other believers. So Paul talks about those that were Jewish, those that are un-Jewish, Gentiles of different faith, and then those within the household of faith, other believers. Paul says, I try to please everyone in everything I do. Not so they admire me, not so they love me, but that they might be saved. That's how I love them, by introducing them to my Savior. Paul's not saying be a people pleaser to give in and do whatever somebody says just so that they think better of me or that they think I'm nice. Paul's ultimate desire is that people would meet Jesus. So he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can you say that to your children? Or do you say, do what I say, not what I do. How many times? How many of you are guilty of saying something like that, just in maybe different words? Yeah, I know I did that, but you should do what I say, not what I do. Our lives need to be transparent, and they should back up what we believe. 
Can your friends say that? Can your brothers and sisters in church, your spouse, this person says what they believe? So our takeaways very briefly, have you recognized your true identity in Jesus Christ as an image bearer of God? If you haven't, I would love to talk to you. If you're watching online, you can contact me through the church website, dunkirkbaptist.org. And I'd love to have a conversation with you and introduce to you Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that, make sure that you have that knowledge clearly in your head and the conviction clearly in your heart that you're a follower of Jesus. Are you misusing your Christian liberty to harm others? Whether you're pushing unbelievers away or causing newer believers to stumble and fall into temptation, are you judging others and pushing your personal convictions on them as though they answer to you instead of answering to God? Are you living your life to bring glory to God? Do others see more of Jesus and less of me? Do you seek the good of others by not offending them or taking advantage so that they think more of you? Are you looking for how can I bless this person? How can I point them to Jesus? And I know there's not a lot of time for coffee, but make sure you grab a cup and that you stay to hear about every child. Please pray with me as Mark comes up and we'll sing a closing song. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the richness of what was written 2,000 years ago to a different group of believers, but with the same issues, the same heart problems that we have. We want to do whatever we want, and we don't sometimes care about the consequences. Help us to love others, not only our brothers and sisters in Christ, but the people around us who don't know you yet. Help us to think more about them, to put them ahead of ourselves in our choices and our actions. Let our freedom be about serving and loving others well. And Lord, I pray that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we would do all to your glory. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. It's in his holy, holy, holy name I pray. Amen.